Is this something that you want used as part of your treatment or are there issues that you want to discuss? Are there people that would be helpful for you in your recovery? I think across the board, even in the most kind of outcome-based scientific places in our society, that people are understanding that just like we have added into the psychological dimensions of how somebody's doing or the emotional dimensions, they're adding in those spiritual dimensions as well. Welcome to The Work in Between, the podcast that explores the topics and daily actions that get us to our health-related goals. Whether you're trying to lose weight, get more fit, or improve your mental, emotional, or spiritual health, you're in the right place. In 2021, I was diagnosed with diabetes and was morbidly obese. I was already a three-time cancer survivor, so I knew I had to do something to turn my life around. So I did. I lost over 100 pounds and began transforming my life inside and out. I'm living my most purposeful and intentional life, and I want you to live yours too. Thanks for stopping by. I'm glad you're here. I'm your host, Gretchen Holmes, and this is The Work in Between. If you've dealt with or are dealing with a serious illness like cancer or navigating debilitating chronic pain, as millions are, or if you are obese or recently diagnosed with diabetes and seeking treatment, you know how overwhelming and scary it can be. Dealing with all of the hospital visits, the medical terminology, all of the different health providers, the treatments, the pain, the exhaustion, well, it's unimaginable, unless you've been through it. Then there's watching your family and friends go through it with you, or your loss of identity as you negotiate a new version of yourself as patient, or even survivor after a cancer diagnosis, or after an accident or stroke limits what you are able to do. Not surprisingly, sometimes along with all of this comes a crisis of faith, or our spirituality is severely questioned. I'm sure you can imagine how excited I am to talk about all of this and more with my guest, Dorothy Dixon Rischel, PhD. Dr. Rischel has been a practicing clinical psychologist for over 30 years, where she works with patients to help them cope with medical issues such as cancer, strokes, chronic pain, and weight management. She focuses on the intersection of faith and spirituality with mental and physical well-being. Dorothy is also an ordained Methodist minister. Welcome to this show, Dorothy. Oh, thank you, Gretchen. I'm so happy to be here. Looking forward to it. Me too. So spirituality and faith is such a critical part of our lives, especially as it relates to our health. I'm excited to explore these issues with you and find out what we can do to make sure we're focusing on our whole selves, not just the physical. So let's get started. Spirituality and faith and how it impacts our health is a topic most of us don't generally talk about. Well, you do, but many of us don't. 
I do, yes. <laughs> One of the reasons I wanted to do this podcast was so I could explore the mental, emotional, and spiritual aspects of our health journey, not just the physical, because we know all of these other facets of our lives impact our health too. So let's start with, how do you define spirituality? I define spirituality as that part of ourself that is our identity and in our identity that's transcending into our relationships with others and the, the connection that we have with those spiritual realities beyond ourselves. So that definition of spirituality is that integration of our whole selves and that identity that we share beyond our bodies, beyond our emotions, beyond our actions, beyond our thoughts, and touches into that transcendence. So does that also include things like what we think our purpose is or what we think we're supposed to be doing? Is that part of that as well? Absolutely. Ideally, what we'd have is that our purpose and our actions and our mission, our vocation would be related to our ultimate values and our identity would be grounded in that ultimate belief, our core beliefs as to what the world is and what our place is in it. So how have you seen spirituality and faith play a role in our health? Because you work with patients that have experienced all sorts of health-related issues, some very acute, some more chronic. So how have you seen these two things play out? What you were talking about in that introduction, which really was very helpful and very broad, but I think that what health problems will do is interrupt that connection and that sense of identity. It will change often what our roles are, as you were talking about, maybe from caregiver to care receiver, or from professional to patient, and some of those kinds of things. So who we see ourselves in relationship to one another, and who we see ourselves in relationship to society, and also to God, uh, however we see God, is critical to our well-being and our sense of health. When there's a change in that, when there's a break, say, for example, a stroke, and someone can now no longer communicate as they once did, or maybe they can no longer provide for someone as they did, that's going to change their understanding of who they are in relationship to those that they love the most, but also to society. So looking back at what the core beliefs are, where is your identity grounded and where it is that you have value often is, as you said, an unstated, but very relevant piece of how people are going to heal. So how do you go about helping your patients aligned with their values? Because there are a lot of people, I think, who maybe haven't given a whole lot of thought to this necessarily, though someone who I know very well has said, if you don't know what your values are, you look at what has really, really angered you because somebody has stomped on your values. But I think there are a lot of people who don't necessarily, or they're not able to necessarily articulate them 
So how do you help guide people to identify those and then try to help them align? Part of what I think we offer to each other is we listen to each other's stories as we enter into the experience that people may share with us as they're describing their life or maybe they're describing their symptoms, they're describing what their frustrations are. We start seeing what some of those values are. So part of my work as a psychologist is to try to help them name those so that there's something that they can understand and identify how they want to move towards certain goals. So identifying what those values are, sometimes it's very easy when people have a deep sense of their own faith, or maybe it's defined by a certain faith community or faith tradition, then it's easy to kind of tap into those and talk about how that relates to what they're going through right now. Other times it is more existential to help people identify what it is, like you said, that sense of when is there an injustice? Where is there a frustration? Or on the flip side, what do you do what, with your time when you don't owe it to somebody else? You know, where do you spend your time? There is your treasure. What is important to you? What brings you joy? So oftentimes, even in the midst of significant medical changes, significant functional changes, we will talk about where do we find joy? Where is joy for you? What makes you smile? What makes you laugh? And so we talk about those things in a way that can, can call someone to remember their hope and remember the places that life has been good for them so we can try to reestablish that. I like that, to remember their joy, because I think sometimes when there's severe illness or sickness or whatever it is, I think sometimes we lose track of that. So when people are diagnosed with an illness, they tend to become that illness. Mm. It tends to take center stage, right? Which can rob us of our identities or at least change them. So you just spoke about how you have seen this a little bit in your practice, but how do we even make sense of embracing these new identities without it becoming everything about us? I know in my case, having had cancer three times, believe me, I identify as a cancer patient, as a cancer survivor. And when you're going through something, that is where the spotlight is. How do you help patients not just become whatever it is that has happened to them? And again, I, I talked about going back into the story mm -hmm. of your life to look at, yes, to be able to express what that frustration is of being a cancer patient or a stroke survivor and to talk about how life has changed, but then also to look at what is the story before? What is it that was a value? What do you pride yourself on? How do other people see you? And then you also want to do that relationally. So I think even if we're dealing with ourselves or we're dealing with a loved one, to try to not just focus our conversation on the illnesses and the treatments, but also to look at that wider context of what we share. And so we do that in therapy. Over the years, I've done a lot of that in group. People could have the opportunity. These are patients in a physical rehab. They would have the opportunity to identify themselves 
what's important to them, a mother, perhaps working in this particular way or someone who likes classic cars, you know, yeah. whatever it is, but to really talk about the things that have filled their life in the past so that you don't lose that in the midst of being a, a patient. Yeah. I think we have to watch our language too, mm -hmm. Gretchen. You know, I think often there's been a movement in our society that we don't talk about people who may have disabilities Mm -hmm. by their disability, but we sure. talk about them as a person who's a wheelchair user, that we talk about someone who has a visual impairment instead of a blind person. Right. I think the same way we've got to think about ourselves and think about the others that we're interacting with, that this is a person with cancer or a person who has had an amputation, not the amputee. Right. And, That's and, very and, powerful because how we frame our identity matters as to how we move through life. Yeah. I'm right? a dialysis patient instead of I'm a person who uses dialysis or has this schedule, you know, has to fit dialysis into my day every day. Yeah. No, excellent point. I think that helps maybe disempower the illness or the sickness or the whatever it is that we're dealing with. I remember when I was first diagnosed with cancer, I started talking about it out loud pretty much with anybody who would hear it. Because in my mind, the more I talked about it, the less power it had over me. It certainly was real enough. That wasn't the problem. It's just that I didn't want it to become the only thing about me. So I guess I felt if I controlled the narrative that at least I had some power over it. I don't, I don't even know if any of that makes sense, but it's what I did. And I've done it ever since, because even the second time I got cancer and third time, I think it's really important to, well, for me, meet it head on. I just, that's how I had to handle it. But how I approached it just was not to shy away from it. I just, to me, became just part of who I was, not all of who I was. Right. And I think that encompassing all of it is really where the crux comes and, and maybe the finesse, because it is important to tell the story. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, that's where I started. I think hearing the story, listening, understanding it with one another and even to ourselves, it's a place that journaling can make a lot of difference to tell the story, but also put it into the context of the whole life. And sometimes we miss the mark one way or the other. We don't want to be on any side of that spectrum that we're either ignoring it and pretending that it doesn't exist, or it becomes everything that we are. And that can be disenfranchising too. Yeah, one of the hardest things for me was watching my family go through cancer with me. And I've often talked about the harder part of the journey for me was looking into their eyes and seeing how scared they were. I, for some reason, even though I was stage four, never thought I was going to die. And obviously I did not. Yes. But the harder part was seeing the pain that was in their eyes. Do you work with families too? Or Sure. And often we will when we do grief work. And grief is not just when we lose somebody that we love. I heard you talking about that on another one of your podcasts. It's also all sorts of losses that we can have. 
And grief can be when someone we love is having to go through a trial or we're scared that they may not continue to live with us. So I think that it is important for them to be able to share family members, loved ones, to share their side of that grief as well as the person who's facing the illness. I wonder too, if that's part of the reason that a lot of times we don't see patients isolating themselves because it becomes hard to look into the eyes of someone you love and see that sadness or that fear or the desperation to try to fix it. That's a good question. I think that you know, at some point, I and I love my family very much and, and miss them terribly, but it was harder for me, like I said, to watch them go through it to the point where I started to get a little angry because I thought, well, wait a minute. And it wasn't because they ever directly put it upon me. They did not. They, man, they were stoic and they were there and they did everything they possibly could ever do. My younger brother came and lived with me and cooked for me when mm. I was practically bedridden as they had to deal with thyroid cancer back in the day and they had to take mm. you off your meds and you just couldn't drive and you had to be on a special diet and, and it was, you get a mind fog so you couldn't put two words together. Of course, I was in a PhD program at the time, which didn't help, but, no. but he came down, he stood right by me. My whole family was extraordinary that way. There was no manipulation there. There was no, they're playing the victim. It just, that was not that. But sometimes I got angry because I thought, I can't carry my cancer and you guys too. I, right. you know, I assume some people felt, it didn't last long, but I expect sometimes people feel that way. I have absolutely heard that numerous times over the course of my career that folks are like, I'm the one that's going through this. And sometimes, you know, kind of what we mean to help folks understand that everybody that care in your community, your closest circle, everybody's going through this. But what can we do to lean on each other instead of one person, either way, on either side uh, of the need, having to carry or hide? I think that's the other thing that sometimes happens is that we hide from each other the struggle because yes. uh, you don't want to make it worse on them. They don't want to make it worse on you. And so everybody is kind of tiptoeing around in addition to facing whatever the illness is. And like you said, that burden mentally and physically of trying to get better and fight, you've also got to tiptoe around and make sure you don't make it worse on anybody else. And my experience has been that when we come together and we really talk about it, that it just is like a breath of air. There's some oxygen that comes back into the room that we can breathe together instead of just passing the mask to one another yeah. at various times. I can absolutely imagine that to be true because I think when we, when we articulate our fears and we articulate whatever the feelings are that we're having, then I think we probably have some clarity for a little while until we get all messed up again. Right. And we have to do it over and over again. But it also, because when we talk about those fears, it names it so that we can either decide 
to live with it and just bear it for a while, or maybe we can make some changes that would minimize that threat in some way. I imagine that there's a lot of families trying to navigate this right now and are struggling with that. And so I would guess that you certainly would recommend people talk about it. Are there techniques or things that you could recommend on how to approach it? If they're not seeing a Dr. Rischel, I don't, you know, what, how do they navigate that? I think that sometimes we don't use the resources that are there. You know, we do have a lot of people who are in faith communities and sometimes their faith leaders are very good at sitting with them and making these kinds of discussions. There are some resources that are there. For example, hospice uses a book across the country called The Five Wishes that can sometimes make a difference for people. And just the question, how is this for you? How is this going for you? Help me understand what it's like for you. Very simple question, but something that invites someone to share their own experience. So the research is pretty clear that spirituality and faith in the healthcare world matters. It affects healthcare outcomes, physically, mentally, emotionally, et cetera. And many patients want it as part of their healthcare experience. Are we getting better at addressing it in the healthcare world? I believe so. Just because it is one of the aspects of psychosocial, emotional, spiritual well-being that we address. I think that typically there will be a box or a question for many people about their spirituality. Is it important to them? Is this something that you want used as part of your treatment or are there issues that you want to discuss? Are there people that would be helpful for you in your recovery? I think across the board, even in the most kind of outcome-based scientific places in our society, that people are understanding that just like we have added into the psychological dimensions of how somebody's doing or the emotional dimensions, they're adding in those spiritual dimensions as well. Yeah. And as you said, the research is very clear that people who are able to draw on their faith actually do better with treatments. And there's all sorts of ways that science may try to describe that, but how it happens isn't nearly as important as that it happens. And the fact that it makes a difference for people, not only in the outcomes of their treatments, but also in their satisfaction levels and how well they feel as they're going through the struggles that will face us all. Not everybody necessarily, I think, will be comfortable bringing up some of these things, like saying, I would like to have my doctor pray with me before surgery, or I really would like to have my rabbi come in and talk with me, or whatever it is. What's your advice or your suggestions to help people have that or start that conversation or bring it up if they're facing? some of these issues, how do they, how do they bring it up? Because I don't think everybody would necessarily be comfortable. I think that part of that in the same way that we may claim that we're 
a cancer survivor or have been a survivor of trauma in some way to be able to say, I am a person whose spirituality is important to me. And I do want that to be a part of whatever I'm doing. I think people can say that pretty clearly to folks that, especially if the provider sometimes opens that window a little bit to ask, are there spiritual practices that would be helpful for you in this recovery? I think, you know, medical, psychological, all sorts of providers are now looking at how mindfulness makes a difference, teaching relaxation, teaching breathing, imaging, uh, meditation, all those sorts of things. So when we open up that, Sometimes that's a place to say, well, I would like to do that from a Christian perspective, or I learned to do that in my Hindu upbringing. I really do think that to kind of claim our space and say, this is important to me in the same way someone might say, my family is important to me. I want them to be a part of this decision making, or there are financial constraints with this. So we need to be aware of what the economics are of that particular treatment. I think we have to all realize that we have every right to bring up any issue, especially in a healthcare situation that is making us uncomfortable or that would make us feel better, and that those conversations are actually quite normal. That yes. that you know, nurses and doctors and and techs and everybody else have heard those conversations and that hopefully people will feel more comfortable bringing them up. Yes, I think so. And sometimes just saying, I'm going, I can't attend this appointment because I'm attending a worship service or because that's my meditation time or being able to set some of those limits that we talk about as being so important in so many domains of our life. If, you know, to say that for ourselves too, to claim that we are spiritual people in the same way we might say, I need to go to the gym. I like that. So you're both a psychologist and a minister. Yes. And I would be curious from whichever hat that you wear, which is probably (laughs) both of them most of the time, what are some steps that we can take to lean into the opportunities for spiritual and personal growth during these times where we're struggling with our health? How do we take action in our daily lives to grow from these experiences? I do think that is something that, again, we're taking more seriously across the medical communities, but also in our society as a whole. When we talk about work-life balance, if we can also think about it as psychosocial, emotional, spiritual balance. So I think one step that we can take is really to what I would say, look into the emotional mirror and kind of take some account of what it is that we see as our strengths, as our assets, as our values. What is it that we want to increase? What do we want to tweak a little bit? Who are we as what's the image that we see in that emotional mirror? Then the other thing I think is to also look at making a place for our spiritual, psychological, and social interactions every day. It may be very different for all of us, but if we think about making some time every day for our soul, spirit, psyche, it may be connecting with nature, 
It may be going to some devotional literature. It may be participating in a community of faith, which we know more and more is important, but is also decreasing. So trying to find those people that spiritually will make us be the best that we can be, will call us to a different understanding of ourselves. Dorothy, I think this is an excellent place to end part one of our conversation okay. about spirituality, faith, and our health. Thank you for taking the time to talk with us oh. and for giving us some direction on how to take better care of ourselves spiritually. Stay tuned for part two of my conversation with Dorothy when we explore the emotional, spiritual, and mental factors related to obesity and how to navigate some of the barriers to good health. The information on this podcast is not intended nor implied to be a substitute for professional medical advice. 